0: Why 480? It's the number that drives our work lives. 480 minutes, that's all you have every work day. And the decisions that you make each minute can change everything. When you plan out your business goals over the next two years, that's only 480 work days to get it done. In your entire 40 year career, you've only got 480 months to make an impact with your work. Time is the limit we can't control. Because time is your most precious resource.
1: This is the Leadership 480 Podcast.
0: Hey there leaders, our topic today on the Leadership 480 Podcast is one that most of us could probably sit around and swap war stories about because we've all made really bad mistakes here and that topic is interviewing. (laughs) So for all the automation we have now in hiring systems, there's still this incredibly human element to hiring that comes down to the interview. Um, But we're all human, right? And people aren't perfect. And that's where a lot of us get into trouble. So uh, as a special treat today, I have the expert on interviewing here with me, Katie Campbell. Katie has spent a big portion of her career working on systems and training people to hire better candidates. Welcome, Katie. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. So I started talking a little bit about automation you know that's kind of the big thing these days like can we overcome the human element use automation um would you ever hire someone without interviewing them just trust the trust the robots oh gosh Uh, no personally (laughs) i would not do that
1: um i think that the the reason that the interview is so important is because we really need to hear about what the Candidate has done in the past, how they've behaved, how they've worked, how they've gotten work done, and there's just no way to do that with automation. So if we're thinking about like a screening tool that screens for keywords or something, um, that's great for a screening process, but that still doesn't tell you or give you really a line of sight into what that person has done in the past or Mm -hmm. how they behave on a daily basis and that's why the interview is so critical and if you think about it every company relies on interviewing in the selection process i mean they have to because otherwise they would be hiring like i said for keywords or Mm -hmm. for knowledge and experience um which you can get off a resume but they still wouldn't know what can that person do? What motivates them?
0: That sounds like a crazy article, like you're getting hired for keywords now. Like, yeah. And and I think that's part of this process is I like, like I, when I hire and I look at all these resumes out there and everything like that, Like you can sort of tell a little bit about the person, but the interview just kind of changes everything.
1: Yeah, it does. It's really powerful. And there's been research that has just been released recently that shows that really everybody pads their resume.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, you're almost you're almost supposed to not lie, never lie, right But you're supposed to make yourself look really good and um, you also never put the bad things on your resume, right? which sometimes you I have found you get to in the interview. people talk about times they messed up or failed, and sometimes it's actually a really good thing when you hear that from them and say, "Oh, I messed up, but here's how I fixed it and you're like, wow, you know, I mean, it was a mistake at the time, but look at what you did to overcome that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And you can understand the circumstances and were the circumstances out of the control of this individual and how did they make lemonade out of lemons
0: and Mm -hmm. all of that stuff, which you really just can't get from a resume. So, you know, knowing then uh, that the interview is super important, that human element that comes into it. uh, The thing that always comes to my mind, though, is that and why I think we try to eliminate this part of the process is that there's still a huge aspect of bias there. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I think like the interview comes down to like, do do they like me? You right. know? Do they like <laughs> me? Um, so do you think it's possible? Can interviewers be unbiased? Well, I don't
1: think any of us can be unbiased entirely because we have biases that are sort of mental shortcuts that we use to basically keep us safe, and so we, we, from our experience or from our preferences, we sort of know how something is going to play out, or we do tend to jump to conclusions sometimes. So I don't think any of us can be unbiased, but we can definitely guard against it in the interview process. So that would mean things like making sure that there isn't bias actually built in to the interview or to mm. the interviewing system. An example of that would be, well, I only look at candidates from a certain university or oh. I only look at someone who has this degree or something like that. So we can sort of expand our thinking around what we're looking for Mm -hmm. um, and not have those biases sort of built into the system. But we can also, just as individual interviewers, be aware of our own biases and try to get past that. Now, a couple of interesting things. Because we each have biases the best approach that i found for interviewing is to have multiple interviewers. Mm. And so if I'm on a team of three interviewers and I'm gathering data from the candidate and then you in a separate interview are gathering data and so on, uh, then as interviewers we can sit down with our data and talk that data through. And if I have a bias because, let's go back to the university example, somebody went to my alma mater, so I, I've already put a halo on their head, Yeah. Um, then the person across the table from me can say, mm, Katie, you're a little hung up on that, and let's look at what the data
0: tells us. And I think that part of the process is so important, because I've worked in organizations before where you just... <clears throat> you know, it was just the manager and they kind of made the decision about who's on their team. And obviously the manager's super important and their opinion matters more than anyone else's. But at the same time, you know, when I've done it then with multiple interviewers and I'm now like so reliant on that, I'm so curious, like, okay, here's what I thought of this candidate. What did you guys think? Was that Mm -hmm. your same experience? And um, definitely I've had like multiple occasions where it's like, I thought that somebody was maybe a great fit and somebody uh, else was like, I honestly couldn't they could not tell me one good thing they had done in this area mm-hmm. or or vice versa, where I was like, I didn't get a good answer from them on this question. They're like, oh, they told me wonderful stories about how they <laughs> completed this. And um, it has helped tremendously, even just for my own sake of thinking, like, OK, I think I actually made the right decision here.
1: hmm. Yeah. And I think that. When you get those multiple perspectives, you not only drum out the bias, but it actually makes you a better interviewer because you're paying attention now. In that one-on-one interview, you're not putting your pen down and saying, oh, Beth is awesome. (laughs) You know, she has everything we need, but rather you think, well, I'm going to be questioned about this by other interviewers, so... in order to keep me honest, I better be taking notes, I better have some data to back up that glowing review of Beth, you know?
0: That is also true. I never used to take notes in my interview. I mean, now, um, you know, I work here and we have a system for doing it and everybody takes their notes and under like specific sections and like before we just, (laughs) just kind of discussed it you mm-hmm. know, after, if you had another candidate who you know even if you had another interviewer you just were like I don't know what you think yeah and just gave overall impressions and now I'm like oh if I don't show up with notes like I will be embarrassed I will be like <laughs> yes. the one who showed up not prepared um, and inevitably you know you don't remember all of the all of the details until you go back to the notes and then you're kind of like oh that's right that's a that was a great point they made
1: yeah that was a great point or that wasn't so impressive. Now that I'm not sitting across from that person, I'm, you know, I'm thinking yeah. mm,
0: about that again. Which is for those good storytellers too, cuz sometimes like when I look back, like sometimes somebody has me like swept up in a story and I'm like, "Yeah, you killed <laughs> it out there." And then I like look, look back at the notes and I'm like, "I can't actually when I t- when they told the story, I, there wasn't a single thing that they said that they did in this. I was all excited about the story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't mention A single action they took to fix the problem. Yes, exactly. Yeah,
1: so we want to make sure as interviewers that we're paying attention, that we are getting good data. And another thing that we really want to make sure that we don't do is meet prematurely with other interviewers. Mm -hmm. So if I'm coming out of my interview and you just had an interview with the same candidate an hour earlier, for us to sort of meet up at the water cooler mm-hmm. and say, hey, what'd you think? Um, that in and of itself can sort of poison the well. Because if you say, I wasn't impressed at all. I, I, I actually thought that that candidate was lying to me. Mm-hmm. And I had a completely different experience. Now I'm already biased. So mm-hmm. what we ask interviewers to do is to sort of sit quietly with their own interview notes and rate the candidate in certain skill areas or competencies before they ever talk to another interviewer so that they so their their rating is really based on data and not on some impressions that I got from you some impressions yeah.
0: you got from me that is super hard to do <laughs> especially if your other interviewers are Close colleagues or people you know well, but it makes a lot of sense, you know. So scoring someone, um, but I want to ask you a little bit about the questions, the types mm-hmm. of the questions to ask. Um, so when we talk about bias and and the questions you ask in interviews, you know, one of the first things that comes to my mind is some of those questions that sort of border on illegal and like that's yeah. like the horror stories of of those kinds of questions, right? Yeah. Um, so what kinds of questions should you not be asking in the interview?
1: Oh, that's a a great question. Um, So those sensitive, potentially illegal questions need to be avoided at all costs. And the way that you'll know whether you're asking a sensitive or potentially illegal question is, first of all, is it relevant to the job? Hmm. So if I ask you how many kids you have or, isn't that a parochial school that your kids go to or Mm -hmm. whatever Um, none of that has anything to do with the job and i could be opening myself up to a discrimination case because without meaning to i've asked you maybe about your religion about your marital status Mm -hmm. i may be jumping to conclusions about how willing you are to travel so if it doesn't have anything to do with the job just don't ask it that that's a yeah. good rule of thumb
0: i kind of remember that cuz there's like i remember a long time ago like they would give the advice well okay not that long ago but like the advice of like for women like um, like don't wear an engagement ring to your oh. um, interviews. Like, you know, when I was first, you know, at one point I was interviewing, I was not married yet, but I was engaged And like, some people were like, don't wear an engagement ring. Cause they will like be like, she's obsessed with wedding planning. She's oh. not going to be focused on
1: the show. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> and then you're like, that that can't be true advice. Yeah. But what if it is, is that a, is that a solid thing to do? Like it was. It's weird, you know, um, yeah. thinking about that. But that was the honest advice because they're like they will make assumptions if they see that.
1: Oh gosh. Well, I I I have to take a moment <laughs>
0: <laughs> with that one. That's awful. Uh, uh, and it was it was from I mean that was from like friends. That wasn't from yeah. like you know. But like there was honest advice out there at the time. Yeah. They're like, don't don't do that. Um, you know, they'll they'll assume you're you're just not going to be focused. Oh, and then my. there's kind of like the flip questions too. I've seen. Um, like they're not illegal, but they're they're just like
1: not related to the job. Yeah. Yes. And and I call those in some cases I call those brain teasers. Mm. So sometimes you'll hear questions that are like, uh, "What kind of animal are you?" Or would you rather have legs as long as your fingers or fingers as long as your legs? The that kind of thing. And those are a complete waste of time, first of all, because they're not predictive of anything. And why do you think, let me ask you a question, why do you think that interviewers ask those kinds of questions?
0: I well, I don't know. You know, they have like those trick questions. That, I mean, it's, I think it's to get at their thought process of yeah. like, how do you solve a problem? Um, but, you know, putting people on the spot is always so challenging but they just I think they just want to see how you're thinking.
1: Yeah. I think that's exactly right and I've had people tell me, "Well, I'm testing creativity or I'm testing problem solving." The problem with that is that you are not a psychologist. And so <laughs> when you put yourself in the position of asking those those kind of bizarre questions, you are the sole arbiter of what a good and a bad answer is. Mm -hmm. So if I say, Beth, what kind of animal are you? And you say, I'm a lion. Well, then I, as the interviewer, am either going to say, that's great, we need more fierce lions on Mm -hmm. our team, or, oh my gosh, she's so aggressive, and that's so scary. So when what
0: I really meant was that, like a lion, I enjoy sleeping all day.
1: Exactly. So we want to be careful of those. They're really not predictive of anything, and they really only serve to make that interviewer feel smart. That's really all that's happening there. So you want to steer clear of those sensitive questions or brain teasers or even the hypothetical questions like, say, I have a meeting tomorrow, and I need my PowerPoint presentation done. Are you going to work late? You know, what would you do? Those aren't really predictive of anything either because we know the candidate wants a job, and so they're going to tell you whatever they think you want to hear.
0: I remember I had one candidate, too, that um, I hadn't – this was a long time ago, but I remembered, um, you know, my boss at the time had wanted to hire him, and he – And in his mind, he said, well, he's a swimmer. And you know how swimmers are because swimmers, they, you know, to be a great swimmer, you have to be really precise. You have to be, you know, they have to track every movement. So I think, like, when he writes things, he's probably going to be really precise and really focused on the details. And so all – and it was making all these connections. And I remember thinking – Yes, but he openly told me he doesn't deal well with criticism, and that's just not going (laughs) to fly. We don't need him to swim. We need him to ride. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So I was also thinking about the candidates that, you know, often seem great. Their resume means all the qualifications. And, and like, so you ask them all the questions. You follow all the rules. Mm -hmm. You know, stick to the good topics. Um, But your gut's just saying they're not a good fit. Mm -hmm. How do you... What about those situations? Well, it's interesting. I, I
1: think that the term fit, either cultural fit or organizational fit, has been misused and abused a little bit in the last couple of decades. And it went from meaning something very specific, which I'll tell you about in a minute, to being misinterpreted as that person isn't going to fit in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I don't know that that person would be um, comfortable in this environment. I don't know because that person wears uh, some kind of religious headdress, they're not going to feel comfortable here because nobody else does that. Mm-hmm. Um, that we've, we've sort of um, perverted the fit word uh, to mean fitting in. Mm-hmm. And that's really dangerous because what happens when that when we do that is we end up hiring people that fit the template that are just yep. like us. Or as you said, people that we like, you know, who gave a good interview and they were fun. So we need to think about fit as what are the requirements of the job, what are the circumstances of the job, and what has this person told me that would make me believe that that person wants to do what's required in this job. So it has everything to do with the candidate mm. and what they find satisfying and if they are going to enjoy the circumstances and the mode of operation right. uh, rather than whether I think that they're going to fit in with the group or whether I think they're going to fit in with me.
0: So. So kind of like, for example, like if the job is, there's a ton of travel involved and the person says, I don't really enjoy going to new places.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's fair, that's that's kind of motivational fit. Like you're not gonna, if you don't like traveling, you will not like this job that requires that's traveling. Right. <laughs> but if it's more like, you know, I, I, I'm not particularly outgoing and everyone else in the office is fun, but the job doesn't require you to do that, you can probably, you may want to end up, um, that may not be a barrier for the person.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right and so what we want to do as organizations is have a an actual fit profile that we're hiring to so mm-hmm. and that includes the circumstances under which the job has to be done, the mode of operation of the company, that sort of thing, um, the, the non-negotiables like travel or shift work or something like that and we are measuring against those fit facets we would call them that are already established and we would be measuring all of the candidates against the same fit facets for the same position Mm -hmm. and so what that helps us to do is ask questions for example if i said to you beth tell me about a time when you had a lot of travel in your job and how satisfying or unsatisfying was that Mm -hmm. you will tell me, well, I had a lot of travel in my last job and I decided I really didn't like that. And then I can put you up against that profile. Sure. And if travel's in the job, I know that you're probably not a good fit. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we do have to establish those fit facets. Otherwise, we're just really going off of our gut and whether we like the person and whether we think the person's going to fit in.
0: This is Beth Alms with Katie Campbell. And today we're talking about a super challenging topic interviewing. So, the thing is, like when I think of times when I've had to fill roles, um, I've often been super anxious to fill them very quickly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And it's good, you know, to go through the whole process, doing the multiple interviewer thing, um, you know, taking all the questions. It it sounds time consuming, you know, and this is the Leadership 480 podcast. We, we mm. like to make time more efficient. We all know how precious those hours are. How do you make it go faster? <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if you have an answer to that, but make it go faster.
1: Well, I have a couple of answers to it. It's it's sort of pay me now or pay me later, right? Yeah. So if you are making a quick decision, uh, you're just keeping your fingers crossed that it's the right decision. Uh, and when that decision doesn't go the way or that candidate doesn't is not as successful as you hoped they would be, now you're in a position of having to do performance discussions or having to fire that person and rehire someone else. So it's a there's a more time involved at the back end in yeah. activities that you don't want to have anything to do with, right? right? So you want to spend the time up front and do your due j- diligence uh, to make sure that you're getting the right person in that job.
0: I think it's kind of like the horror of the 6-month hire where like you you hire them and it's going and like you spend all this time onboarding them because that's exhausting. Um, and then, you know, you've spent all this investment and then in like 6 months it's not working out mm-hmm. and then what do you do? And now you start over and like by the end of it you've lost like a year.
1: Yeah. You've lost a year and you've lost big money, too, because it, on average, uh, going through that whole process of hiring and onboarding and training and then losing that person, you've spent about two and a half times the salary of the job. So that's why you want to make sure that you're making the right decision every time.
0: Can I justify hiring two candidates knowing that? <laughs> that's going to happen? Knowing it'll cost me twice as much if I make the wrong decision anyway. I, I
1: Whatever works. Probably uh, not budget-wise, but... Yeah, yeah, but it's, you know, it, it's really like making a capital investment mm-hmm. because you're hiring someone. It's a big ticket item, right? The, the salary is important, and you're going to have to live with that decision for a long time. So it's not unlike buying a house or buying a car. Um And yet, somehow, we don't approach hiring people in the same way that we would research some other purchase and and have a business case for some other purchase. We're we're buying a new truck for the company. Mm -hmm. We would probably put more thought and more time into that than we do on the people side. And that's always confused me because the people investment is really at the heart of every organization.
0: So, Katie, something you said actually triggered a thought here. You you mentioned um, how much time and effort we put into looking for a house. And I remember (laughs) when I was house hunting years ago, uh, talking a lot with the realtor about things when we look for a house there, there are things you can change and then the things you can't change like right. you know easy things you can change a pink color like not a problem uh you can upgrade a kitchen a little bit more work but mm-hmm. can always be done and then there were things like you know you're never going to have an open floor plan in this house it's structurally not possible mm-hmm. um, things like that so and i think that's a great actually analogy for when you're looking at candidates as well because i know in a lot of my discussions about candidates it was like well there's things they don't know um, or haven't done, but I think they could do them. And then there are things that I'm like, you know, I want to say they have potential, but I just don't know. How do you sort of sort out the difference between when you're looking at candidates, what what can change or how they can grow versus what's going to be hard to change?
1: Yes, I think that's a great question because what we would say at DDI is that there are some competencies or skills that can be trained and some that just can't be and so when we're looking at candidates if we have someone who doesn't have a lot of experience with say delegation Mm -hmm. or doesn't have didn't give us a lot of examples around um coaching Mm -hmm. well it doesn't mean they can't do it it might mean that they haven't had the opportunity to demonstrate it Uh, But those two things that I've just described are trainable skills. So delegating, coaching, all sorts of things can be trained. So you'll want to view a a candidate who has some deficiencies through that lens. Can they be trained to do it? Now, if they have a deficiency around more of a personal attribute like integrity or... (laughs) you know, they have very low energy and you need someone with high energy. Uh, those are things that can't be trained. Mm-hmm. And so those would be more like deal breakers, whereas things that can be trained, you, you you may find that you do have the resources and the time to train them or to coach them to do certain things. Mm-hmm. So there, there are deficiencies, but it doesn't make them a bad candidate. Yeah. Um, Or as the hiring manager, you may say, I don't have the resources. I don't have the people on the team who can actually coach this person or train this person. So for me, they're not my candidate.
0: Yeah. Sometimes you do need that kind of ready to go person who Mm -hmm. is, I need you to be able to do this day one. Um, and then sometimes you have to make compromises too to say, well, I'm not finding that person out there. So what can we train? What yes. can we not train? Um, exactly. But I like your point about what's uh, what, what people can learn versus what's really hardwired in those personality tendencies that there are gonna be maybe certain things that they will always not enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, can you get to those questions in the interview without being too personal?
1: Absolutely, so if we're talking about the competencies. So, have they demonstrated delegation? Have they demonstrated coaching? We can ask questions about, tell me about a time that you coached someone on Mm -hmm. a team or a project team. Uh, How did you do that? Walk me through that. And we can get some data on their coaching behaviors. Um, But if it's more of a personal attribute, I would defer to Tell me about a time that you worked in a very fast-paced environment. How satisfying or unsatisfying was that Mm -hmm. for you? And let them answer. And the one thing that we wanna do, especially around what we call fit, is not ask yes or no questions. So this job requires high energy. Do you have that?
0: Yes, of course.
1: What are you gonna answer, no? (laughs) Right. Uh, This job requires such and such, that's okay with you, right? We don't want to lead them, but we want to ask satisfying and unsatisfying. Tell me a story or, you know, what, when, and why uh, was this thing satisfying or unsatisfying to you? And people will generally tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. They are experts in what they like and what they don't like. And they don't want to be caught in a job where there are a lot of things they don't like either. Yeah. so you know usually they will be very candid with you on that topic.
0: Great. And um, so one last question I'll ask is something we ask everyone on the podcast um, and that's about leadership. So you know while hiring is a huge hiring is a huge part of leadership and, and that um, who you work for who works for you mm-hmm. um, all of those things can you tell me about a moment of leadership that deeply affected you good or bad just something that kind of changed the way you thought or maybe the course of your career oh actually yeah
1: and I and this isn't even about hiring um or maybe it is <laughs> I <laughs> when I was new at DDI I had to go to talk to someone who was a senior leader who I had a lot of respect for I was pretty sure that they didn't know who I was uh, and why would they and I went and talked to this person and I got some coaching and he was reviewing some things that I had written and at the end of the meeting he said how do you like it here and I said, oh, I, I like it very much. And he said, that's great, because I've heard really good things about you. And I think you're going to do really well at DDI. And I went from thinking, well, this guy's never even heard of me. I'm just, I'm just new. you know. Mm-hmm. I'm just this low level person. Um, but that always stuck with me, because what it said to me was, someone knows who I am, and they think I'm doing a good job, obviously. But it also was so powerful because that kind of encouragement, as small as it was, was huge to me. Mm -hmm. And it just always let me know that positive reinforcement, maintaining or enhancing someone's self-esteem is always going to win. That's always going to be the right thing to do. And it's a, a great way to spend your time is by encouraging people and letting them know that you've heard of them and that you're impressed by them, that's never gonna be a bad choice. And so it stuck with me for, he. this leader has been gone now from DDI for a while, but I'll never forget him because that was just such a kind thing that I needed to hear at the time.
0: Yeah, what a great moment of leadership to have that amount of impact and they may not have even remembered But it was that moment that really mattered for someone else. Um, And that's really what this is all about in the Leadership 480 podcast. So, Katie, thank you for a great conversation today. And thank you to our listeners. We know your time is valuable. And we appreciate you sharing some of your precious 480 with us. This is Beth Alms reminding you to make every moment of leadership count.